0: Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Well, if you have been with us the past little while, you have been journeying through a, a sermon series, 100 sermon series, that is taking us deeper uh, into our discipleship path, we've unveiled back in the fall our discipleship path for Bethesda, and we and uh, so we unveiled that in the magazine, I believe it was, and then we uh, decided to start preaching a series of messages upon it, and we started talking about what it means to follow Christ. We started there. And we discovered several key aspects of what it means to follow the Lord. And as we, as we took a look at some examples of people's lives who followed Jesus, and as he invited them to come and follow him, like, like Matthew, for instance, who was a tax collector, and, and, and he followed him and it changed his life. And, and, and we took, look, took a look at some others as well. And as they began a journey of faith in Christ and learned uh, as they followed him, we can follow him and grow in our faith, and then a couple of Sundays ago, we began to look at what it means to to grow deeper in our faith. There's there's following Christ is a key aspect, of course, but then we we grow in our faith, and and uh, and Pastor Crystal started out with a wonderful word uh, about uh, about the idea of of in order for growth to really happen in our lives, and and. To, to take place. The Lord uh, comes and he prunes things that are in our lives so we, he can allow for greater growth and also removes some things out of our lives that would hinder our growth and does it for our good. And then Pastor Bruce last Sunday uh, returned to John 11 and another amazing message to talk about the fact that the path to growth uh, isn't always easy, nor is it always what we have in mind. We learn sometimes that God uses painful moments to grow our faith. Anyone know about that? That God uses times in our lives that are difficult uh, to to bring about growth as he journeys with us. And today I want to dive into the idea that in order for us to really grow deeper in our faith in Christ and to mature to spiritual believers as uh, and to mature as followers of Jesus, that one of the ways and one of the mechanisms that God brings that about uh, brings about that growth is in within community. Within a community of faith, we, we know that while salvation is a personal decision, we're not saved by association, we're not saved by because our friends are saved, or our family is saved, but wh- while salvation is a personal decision, and while each one of us has to decide for our own selves uh, whether or not we're going to follow Jesus and surrender our lives to him, there is the reality that, that following that personal decision that we need to, we need to connect to uh, Connect deeper to one another, to to come together as a community of faith so that together we can grow and mature in our faith that we have in him, that we have in Jesus. Now, before I go any further, I want you to just turn, if you have a neighbor on your right, I want you to turn to your neighbor on your right. If you don't have a neighbor on your right, I'm sorry about that, but I want you to turn to your neighbor on your right and I want you to say these words, we're better together. And if you've got a, a neighbor on your left... I want you to turn to your left, and I want you to say the same thing to them. We're better together. Let's say it all together one more time. We're better together. Amen. sounds like you're starting to believe it. One more time. We're better together. Amen. We need one another. You see, Christianity is not so much a a religion, you know, uh, technically, you know, it's a religion, but it's not so much a religion as it is a community of faith it's not so much a belief system. We have beliefs, no doubt, but it's not just a belief system. It's not about following a bunch of rules as, a, as so much as it's about relationship. It's about relationship. It's about a relationship, being in relationship with God. Amen? First and foremost. And it's about being in relationship with, with others who are in relationship with God. And we grow together as we grow in that relationship. Now, now, after we give our lives to Jesus Christ, there are some things that, 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 that you know, God expects from our lives. There are some guiding principles found all through the word of God that God has given us so that we can live the kind of life that he has in mind for us to live. But at the end of the day, in order for us to live, about, uh, to live that more abundant life that Jesus came to give us, the focus needs to be twofold. It needs to be focused on our, on our relationship with God. And it needs to be focused on our relationship with others and developing and strengthening both of those relationships. They're connected. Jesus once summed up the law that, that, that the Jews followed. and the, They followed the law with you know, over 600 commands and 600 laws. And, and, and he summed that whole law up in just two commandments. He once said that the greatest commandment was loving God with all your heart and your and your mind and your soul and your strength. And the second greatest commandment was similar to it, he says, is loving your neighbor as yourself. And in, and in that, he highlighted the need for us to have that, that vertical relationship with God, but also with uh, that horizontal relationship with others. And, and he said there's a connection between both. Now, there are certainly religions in the world that you can come and you can offer a prayer, you can offer a sacrifice, you can, you can do that and go home. You don't have to interact with anybody. You know you can come and fulfill the requirements that is expected. And and while there are maybe people in Christian circles who, who try to follow that, Christianity was never, ever meant uh, uh, to be experienced in isolation. It was never designed to be experienced. It was designed to be experienced within a community of faith. And I'm preaching sort of to the choir here because you obviously got that memo this morning because you're here. You recognize the value of the community, of the body of Christ, of the church. You see, the church is known as the family of God, right? And, and with that idea of being the family of God, of being a spiritual family, comes the idea that we love one another. That, that, that Now, we ain't perfect because we don't have a perfect natural family either, do we? There's always bumps along the roads and things we have to, to grow together in and apologize for this. And, and, but we always, we love one another, right? With the idea of us being a spiritual family comes love one another, comes the idea of intimacy, comes the idea of closeness. As Christians, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I love the big family that I'm connected to. You're all my, you're all my family. I got a lot of brothers and sisters. And so this morning, because we are a spiritual family, because we really need one another in order to really grow deeper in our faith, as we can't really do it on our own, the way it's not the way God intended I want to spend some time, just a few moments of time, talking about that idea as I preach a message entitled, We're Better Together. We're better together. Heavenly Father, help me now as I preach your word. I pray that the truths and the principles that are contained within it, Lord, would would arise to the surface of our hearts and our spirits and we would be changed by your word. That, Father, uh, that myself included, Lord, each one of us here today, that you would mold and shape and fashion, develop. Help us all to take the next level, the next step in our faith. Help us all to grow a little bit deeper, Lord, in our faith. Help us all to love you more and to love one another more. And, uh, Father, that we will grow together in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to turn to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. So, we're going to, And we're going to stand as we read from chapter 10. Let's stand and just stretch your legs. I try not to keep you too long, but I'll see if I can get you to stand, present, prevent some cramping. You won't be sitting that long. I, I'm just joking. But we're going to read from the book of Hebrews. You don't know where it's too. There's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. <laughs> You can follow along also on the screen, so I got you covered, all right? And it's also in the version app in the events section. Okay. The scripture says in verse 19, therefore, brethren, <clears throat> since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking uh, our own assembling together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Thank you very much this morning. We're better together. If you get anything from this today, get that we're better together. Some time ago I watched an interesting program on a on a PBS on the PBS station. And I I, I don't know I'm I sort of like I'm a bit eclectic when I when I when it comes to programs I like. I like. I like watching sports, and I like watching documentaries. I don't know. I sort of have a, a, an interesting mind, but anyways, but this was a documentary about a man from Iowa named Richard Prenicke, and it was, a, it was the documentary. was called Alone in the Wilderness. Anyone ever seen that in this congregation? I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? <laughs> All right, just, just the two of us. All right, but Richard was an amazing mechanic. He was an amazing carpenter, And as I've done a bit of research on his life, I I come to find out that he served in the United States Navy. And he decided that after working in Alaska uh, to retire there in this remote area known as Twin Lakes. In 1968, he built a cabin uh, for himself by hand using just homemade tools. And for 30 years, he lived in that remote location in isolation, only leaving uh, every now and then to, to visit family. For the duration of his times at that place, he filmed a variety of things that would re- reveal to us what it's like to live alone, what it's like to live in isolation in that part in, of Alaska. It's hard, maybe hard to see on the screen, I don't know, but there's a bunch of things that he captured on video and seeing moose and, 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 and bears and different things and, and seeing, seeing uh, nature in different forms. And what really fascinated me about him was not his ability to live alone. But what really fascinated me was the skill and the craftsmanship that he possessed to pull it off and the know-how. Like a, almost like a survivalist kind of thing. Now, I, if I were to go to a store here in St. John's and buy a tent with instructions and try to set it up, I, I, you know, I, I, I may need to come to the altar, you know what I'm saying, to ask the Lord for, you know, because I don't have that, I can't, I need the ones that you just like, you know, you just pull up and it's done, I don't have, I don't have that skill, a carpentry skill, it's, it's a gift for some, it's not a gift for me, and I know my dad is an amazing mechanic, and can do carpenter work and all that kind of stuff, do plumbing and all that kind of stuff. But I think that skips a generation, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think, you know, I think, I think my kids is going to be, you know, I'm going to be calling Noah and Char and say, what do I do with this? They'll be like, oh, dad, we'll show you. I can't do it like this guy. But anyways, after he passed away at 86 in 2003, his cabin was given over to the nat- na- National Park Service. And you can go visit that cabin and check it out for your own self. You know, you know if you want to do that, plan a, plan a holiday, go up to Alaska. But as, as, as amazing as his experience was, <clears throat> I, I would never want to try to live out that experience. That might be all right for well, maybe a week, <laughs> get away, you know, no phone, that kind of thing, just okay. But I would never want to try to live out my Christian experience that way. I would never want to try to live my Christian life in isolation. Now, maybe if you're, the, maybe if you're an introvert or more of an introvert than I am, you may be looking at this and saying, man, I've got to book that for my next holiday. I don't know. You may be more okay with that, that thought of living alone or living in isolation away from, away from people. But you know what? If, if we enjoy being alone or not, our Christian experience was never, ever meant to be lived it alone. Consider Adam. Uh, the first person to ever walk on this earth, the first person that was created by God after spending time with, you know, all these amazing animals and after naming them all, God gives them a job in the garden to, to tend the garden and give them, give them some work to do. And, but as God sort of is watching all this play out and watching Adam work and tend in the garden and, and see him just do his thing, and God sort of steps back and assesses the whole situation and says, you know what? Uh, it's not good for, for man to be alone. It's not good for him to be alone. He needs some community. (laughs) Them animals ain't cutting it, you know. (laughs) And and so from that, Eve was formed by God, and we have the very first existence of community. We have our very first couple. We have our very first family. We have our our very first church. I don't know who did the preaching, but anyways, we have our very first church. We have our very first small group. Uh, And from that moment on, the message that God has given us is that we're better together. We're better when we're in right relationship with God and we're better when we are in right relationship with each other. And in our text today, the writer to the Hebrews highlights the idea of being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ and in being in relationship with each other as his church. Now in a few moments, we're going to be taking part in communion. It's the first Sunday of the month and it's something that we normally do on the first Sunday. And as we've done many times in the past, we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us. What, what, what Jesus has accomplished by way of the cross on our behalf. And when you think about the cross, as, as Jesus died upon the cross, you know what God the Father was saying loud and clear to you and to me, speaking about him going after us, that we're better together. That he, he doesn't necessarily, you know, he's all sufficient, God in all by himself, he doesn't need us. but. There's a love there, and there's a desire for us to be in relationship. And he said, you know what? I'll do whatever I got to do because we're better together. You see, when sin entered the world, God could have given up on us. You know, God could have said, you know what? That was a nice little experiment, you know, that, that Adam and Eve thing. And, but I'm going I'm I'm to step back from that, and I, I don't want nothing to do with them anymore. But that's not what happened. There were a few bumps along the road, a few ups and downs. But ultimately, God wanted to have a relationship with us, even though we didn't deserve it, whereby we could reciprocate the great love that he has for us and choose to love him in return. And in addition to that, he wanted us to be able to have that option to experience relationship and be in communion with God forever and with one another. And he did that while we are at our worst. As Paul said in, in Romans 5 and 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he, Christ died for us. Now let me just say that as we look at the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer whose identity is unknown, we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some say as Paul and some say as others, but we don't really know. Whoever wrote it spent a great deal of time in rich doctrinal teaching. They started out talking about the superiority of Christ how Christ is superior to angels and, and, and the Old Testament priesthood and Moses and so on, for, so on and so forth. Then he, he, he really gets into, like I said, talking about the priesthood of Christ and the ministry of Christ. And then he, he gets into talking about this covenant, this, the, what, what God has established with Christ by way of the cross and that, 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 that how he has opened up a door for us to be saved. And after instructing and teaching those who would read and receive this letter, the, the writer moves on to exhort and encourage the reader, so that in response to right belief, which is what we would call orthodoxy, would be would be right behavior. What we would refer to as orthopraxy. Right belief would be would 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 right behavior would follow right belief. And if you study all the New Testament writers, you notice that without exception, they connect doctrine with deeds. They don't just you know present truth. Just for the sake of presenting truth, but they present truth with some sort of encouragement and exhortation to allow that truth to change our actions and to change our lives and to change us, to make us into people that would, would please the Lord. In other words, uh, they present truth so that in light of that truth, believers would live in a manner that is befitting those, uh, in, a, in a manner befitting the truth that they profess. And so here in this text, we see a sort of a switch from just a presentation to doctrine to a focus on what comes after that, and that is lifestyle to an exhortation to, to live a certain way, to deeds. And the writer says, since we have a new way that we can come to God through Jesus Christ, and since God has opened up the way for us to know him and to be in relationship with him in a very personal way, here are three responses that, that now believers should live out. I want to cover these, and then we're going to take communion, all right? First of all, we should draw near to God with a sincere heart. Come to God with sincerity, with a sincere heart. By by sending Jesus to come into this world to be our Savior, you know what? God came near us. God stepped into our world. I believe believe in Eugene Peterson's The Message, it says, you know, God sort of entered into our neighborhood, became one of us. God came near. By way of the cross, God, through Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, came near to you and I because he desired to have relationship. And so in view of all that Christ has done for us and in view of going to the cross in our place and in view of of redeeming us and making it possible for us to be in relationship with Almighty God, the writer says that God has done everything possible to rescue us, redeem us, save us, and that an appropriate response to all of that is for us to draw near to God to go after God with all of our heart, to have sincerity of, of giving our lives to Jesus in return. An appropriate response is that we would come to God with sincere hearts and that inwardly our, our hearts would desire to be right with God, that we would have a deep desire down in our lives to be reconciled in right relationship with God, to, to please God, to know him, and so on. The word of God, you know, as we study Study the word of God. We know that it says much about the condition of our hearts. We know that the desire of, our, of God is that our hearts be his. For, for us to believe in him with all of our hearts. To love him with all of our hearts. As I already mentioned. To, to trust in him with all of our hearts. Scripture talks about the importance of guarding our hearts. That nothing would creep in between us and God. That nothing would, would get in the way that God would have our hearts completely. And of course, faith is the key of drawing near to God. As we follow Christ and believe in Christ, we receive salvation. And we can come to God with confidence, having the assurance that we are his children, that he is our heavenly father. We can have confidence because as we have faith in Jesus, he extends to us some amazing things, two things. He extends to us his, well, really three. He extends to us his, his grace. He extends to us, his unmerited favor. He extends to us his mercy, something that we do not deserve. But he extends it to us. He extends his love. And he makes us into brand new people. You know, when God looks at you, I was talking about justification, I believe it was in Alpha a few weeks ago, and I was trying to explain what justification meant. It means it's just as if I've never sinned. Can you believe that God can look at you when you give your life to him? That he can look at you as justified, as just as if you've never done anything wrong. Because of your faith in Christ. Get this, Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, or she is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things, new things have come. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Because you know the old things, and the devil likes to bring up the old things, hey? Eh? The devil likes to bring up the old the old things, the old ways, the the things you've done wrong. But you tell the enemy next time he starts whispering the old lies to you, you say, devil, I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation in Christ. Yeah, the old stuff that you're referring to, God doesn't look at me in the old way. He sees the new, the new has come. And because we are new in the sight of God, we can draw near to him with sincerity and with our hearts having the full assurance of faith Secondly, since we have a new way that we can come to God through Christ, we we should faithfully hold on to the hope that we have in Christ. No doubt those whom the writer was addressing would face obstacles and opposition for serving the Lord. It It was not easy being a follower at this time. It was not easy being a follower of Christ in that day. They faced a lot of persecution. They faced a lot of tests and, and trials and, and, and hardships and difficult circumstances. But the, the writer was encouraging them. He says, hold on to what you have in Jesus. He says, hold on tight to the hope you have in Christ, because, or, or to the hope you, of eternal life, the hope of being in God's presence forever, to that great hope of heaven Forevermore, uh, and the hope they had in Christ wasn't just some future hope that was down the road some some t- someday. It was a present hope, something that they could they could grasp right now. The hope they had in Christ did not just pertain to some future salvation, f- f- uh, to some future act that God would do as He welcomed them into eternity in heaven, but a present reality that God was with them right now, that God was in them right now, and God was for them. Amen, no matter what they face, God will never leave them, nor forsake them. No matter what they face, God will, ne- God will be with them. No matter what came before them, God will be faithful because that's who he is. He's always faithful. As we just sang about it a few moments ago. He is good. He is faithful. And the Hebrew writer is trying to remind them that when they called on his name in prayer, he would be faithful to answer. When, they, when he found himself facing uh, adverse situations and found himself facing difficult times, that he would be fa- faithful to see them through it. Uh, and because of the assurance of God's faithfulness, they should be faithful to him in return. He says, God's been faithful to you. God has never, never let you down. Be faithful to him in return. Live in that way. And church, as the Hebrew writer encouraged the believers back then to hold on to the hope that they had in Christ. I came today to encourage you to hold on to what you have in Jesus. Hold on to that hope that you have in Christ for what Christ has given us, what he has deposited in our lives is precious and worth holding on to. God has been faithful to us. Let's be faithful to him no matter what comes our way. Sometimes, you know, there's mountain experiences in our our life, which is wonderful, but sometimes we get in that old valley. Sometimes we get into difficult circumstances that come, and and, and life throws us some curveballs, but hold on no matter what happens because what Christ has done in our lives is precious. It's priceless. And when the writer tells him to hold on, more so than just sort of hanging on for dear life for this ride of, of, of following the Lord. The writer tells them to, to hold on to the confession of their hope. In other words, it was not just about persevering in spite of challenges, but being faithful in sharing about the goodness of God, in sharing about the gospel of God, to be faithful in being a witness of the good news of God, the goodness of God, to be used by God to reveal to others who God is, what Jesus has done, and what hope that they can have in in Christ as well. Church, what we got is too good to keep to ourselves. We have the truth. And the truth we know about Jesus is too precious to keep to ourselves. We need to pray for open doors to, you know, and, and, and walk through open doors as God opens doors and presents opportunities at, at, at Munn and at Kona and at your workplace and, and throughout the city and different things that, you know, in your friendships that pray for God to open doors and then walk through them when, he, when someone, you know, in a conversation, someone's wondering about giving their lives to the Lord. And, you know, pray and, and then t- seize that opportunity in a tactful way. Don't don't force open doors. You know, you try to force open the door that don't want to be open, you're going to break that door down. You're going to do damage. But walk through the open door when it's open. Let God use you to share about his goodness. And thirdly, since we have a new way that we can come to God through Christ, we should love one another, do good, and remain connected to this wonderful community of faith that's established through the blood of Christ. Yes, because of what Jesus has done, we should draw near to Christ, to God. We should hold on to the hope we have in Christ. But there's more to the story. There's more to serving God than just a vertical relationship. I mean, you can be saved, you know, and, and, and focus on that vertical relationship alone. But if we truly love God, I believe it will affect the relationship that we have with others. First of all, if we, if we truly love God, we will love one another. We will love each other. We'll love the the community of faith. We'll love the the family of God. We'll love other people that's not in their family of God right now as well. But the condition of our horizontal relationships with each other affects the condition of our vertical relationship with God. You ever get into uh, either something that uh, maybe, you know, you got into a spat with somebody. You got into a disagreement or, you you know, there's something that's a wedge has come between you or or whatever. Does that not affect your relationship with God? You know, you find that until that's, uh, you know, until... Sometimes the enemy comes in and he, and he tries to put wedges between us. And when you're not right with others, you're not right with God. And Jesus revealed the two most, as I said, the two most important things for believers, and that is loving God and loving others, and they are connected. Added to that, John wrote in 1 John 4, 7, 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who is born and loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love, you can't love others he says, he does not know God, for God is love. And so if we love God with all of our hearts, we should love others. And secondly, if we love God, we will do good things, good deeds, good works. Now, we said this before, that we don't do good works to earn salvation. We know that. We can't earn our salvation by doing good things, but after we come to faith in Christ, you know, we are encouraged to do good things to others and for others. Doing good shows the love of God in practical ways. You think about last fall, we've done that amazing, and even through Christmas, our for St. John's initiative as we reached out. And I was talking to someone just recently and was, 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 was still talking about some of the things that we were doing in the community. And this person I was talking to said, you know, I was talking to someone else, and we were having a conversation about Bethesda, behind your back, but it was good. And they were like, man, that church... You know what they did? And and he said, you know, in the fall, uh, uh, in the fall when when some of this was going on, we we appreciate it, but we didn't really, we appreciate it more now as we see some of the things that have come out as a result of, of what Bethesda has done. That's what it's all about. Making opportunity that we can show the love of God so we can present the gospel. Paul wrote in, it's good to do good things. And we're encouraged to. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 9, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not uh, grow weary. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your what? Your good works. And glorify your fathers who in heaven. James wrote about faith and works in James two twenty six. He says, for just as the body uh, without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And so, you know, while... While good works and good deeds are not able to earn our salvation, they should be seen as a result of it. And finally today, if we truly love God, we'll remain connected to the community of faith, to one another as we're growing together. As I mentioned before, we're better when we're in relationship with God. God has designed us to know him. You're not in relationship with God. There's something you're missing out. And if you're not in relationship with others, you're coming and going, and you don't have a relationship with other people, you're missing out. We're better when we're in relationship with them, and we're better when we're in relationship with each other. And two go hand in hand. I, I, I don't know, in this text, I don't know why, I did some study on it, I don't know why some were in the habit of not coming to, together as a church. They were not coming to a small group. They were not you know, coming on Sunday to worship. They were backing away. I don't, I don't know what the text doesn't say. The, the scholars, I was checking, and they don't know. Says <laughs> we don't know. Ooh. One thing we do know is that some were faithful in, in regularly coming together and connecting with the body of Christ, and others had forsaken it. Others said, you know, it's not going to do that. No the ones who remained connected to the community of faith grew deeper and stronger, and the ones who didn't grew weaker and possibly left the faith. That's why we've been promoting, uh, you know, hosting a group, joining a group, Small group ministry is so vital for us to to grow together in Christ together to grow deeper and stronger. We need one another. I encourage you if you haven't yet consider still joining a group hosting a hosting a small group in a box, taking the next step in your faith that we can grow deeper in Christ together. You see earlier in Hebrews three the writer talked about as I go back to. Those who didn't attend, the writer talked about those who developed an unbelieving heart and fell away from the living God. And They also warned against becoming hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It comes right from the text. And so some stopped stopped coming because of unbelief. They stopped attending small groups. They stopped attending churches because, you know, I just don't believe. Unbelief crept in, and others stopped coming because they got involved in things that were not of God. They got involved in sin and went off and got involved in those things and said, I don't want no part of it. As one scholar notes, perhaps some who were hardened felt themselves to be sufficient in themselves, needing no one to help. You know, God is all-sufficient God, but we're not all-sufficient people. You know what I'm saying? We may be some sufficient, but he's all-sufficient. We need him. We need one another. God designed us to function best in relationship with each other. God designed us to need one another. God designed the church so that when we come together for prayer, we come together for worship, we come together for fellowship, we come together for discipleship, we study the word of God. When we come together and we serve together, shoulder to shoulder, we receive encouragement and we are strengthen our faith and together we grow deeper in our faith in Christ. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.